With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ray and Tay today. Yes, sports radio's on. Talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on. From the NFL to the NBA, MLB and college shooters do it all day. College football, we know who's number one. Understand on the phones, you know we get it done. So call in 718-664-9098, and we'll give you more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray, tall Rayside. And I'm Tay, Eric Taylor. We've got a special show with a special guest from ESPN. And Ray, let's bring him in, and you can introduce him. All right. Welcome to Ray and Tay. This is Martin. Martin Kotobakshian, how are you? 12-time National Sports Emmy Senior Producer at ESPN, and we'll get into all the details. How are you? I'm already impressed with the pronunciation of the last name. Hopefully you didn't spit <laughs> on anybody who's listening. <laughs> Good Armenian name, right? It's uh, probably <laughs> had, a, uh, had a nice time growing up with all the kids uh, and the teachers pronouncing your name. Hopefully hey, I didn't, I knew the I didn't alphabet. do too badly. No, you did amazing. But, you know, how soon did your kids learn how to spell your your last name? And I tell them, you know, they're teaching you the alphabet in kindergarten. So just throw in a couple extra vowels and they're straight. There you go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for thanks for joining us. We we have so much to jump into. I'd, I'd love to just, just get into it. Um, I, you know, w- when we talk about sports as fans and as people who grew up loving the game you know ESPN was always for us the mecca of sports I mean we remember when the network first started in 1979 so what was it like or what is it like working in Bristol working with all these industry legends and TV legends and sports legends that ESPN has brought together over the past 30 plus years Uh, honestly it's a a blessing from God Uh, when people tell me that it's uh, you know, you're so lucky to work there. It's one of the things that kind of irks me. I know what they mean, but the la- you know the, the the last thing that was on my side was really luck. It was uh, sacrifice from my mom as a single mom. Uh, my family who supported me, my faith, and really honestly, the hard work that you know that I tried to put in through college. Uh, you know, I got an internship at my senior year at a, a local TV station, and after about uh, four years there, I got the job at ESPN. And it's funny, in 1997, uh, I met, you're talking about legends and faces, and as you guys know, Chris Berman just kind of took a role of stepping back a little bit. In 1997, I was covering the candle, uh, the Giants, San Francisco Giants home opener at Candlestick Park. And I'm running around just doing my field producer duties. It was my first year. Uh, I just graduated uh, college at UC Davis in, in California, and uh, 
there's Chris Berman on the, on, on the pitcher's mound. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I got to go introduce myself, you know? So you know, I'm by, I think I'm 25 years old and I run, I'm you know, 20, 22 years old, run up to him and uh, tell him that I got to meet three people on my bucket list. And Michael Jordan's one of them. And I had already met him and interviewed him. Uh, Mick Jagger was a second and I'd been to 13 concerts, but I hadn't met him. And here's Chris Berman. And he told me, Hey, yeah, I don't deserve to be on that list. And I'm like, no, no, you do, Mr. Berman. And it was, you know, it was, call me Chris. And I'm like, listen, I'm not supposed to do this. All right. But I, I have my program here. And would you please sign this for me? And of course he grabs the thing and he's, he's, he's just talking about me and what I'm doing here and what my job is. And he's signing the thing and hands it back to me. And I tell him, I hope we can work together someday. And I look down and I read my favorite Martin, as some of us older folks will know the reference to my favorite Martian. It's a yeah. uh, sci-fi show, and I'm like, oh my yeah. goodness, I just got nicknamed by the legend, you know. So that fast awesome. forward, fantastic. I mean, fast forward, yeah, fast forward to 2001, and uh, I was just kind of tired of working at local TV stations, even though I learned a ton, and that's where my roots uh, will always remain faithful. Uh, but in 2000, forgive me, I applied for a position there, not knowing what the heck I was getting into. I just wanted to do it, and I remember that day with Chris, and I got hired, and uh, about a year into, about uh, about four months into working at ESPN, uh, I was miserable. I was like Ralph Macchio and Karate Kid. I just want to throw my bike in the dumpster, go home. <laughs> I left my girlfriend, my current wife, my family, and who was your Mr. Miyagi? No Mr. Miyagi there. I had no friends. I'm just like no one is helping me. I'm like this place is. I was intimidated. I was I was overwhelmed. I was like this place is impossible to figure out because I had come in as a associate producer. And most people come through the ranks as uh, production assistants and you do highlights and you get kept. I came in about a level above them and, you know, all eyes were on this Armenian guy that wore a suit on the first day, like, who's this punk trying to take our job? And uh, there was Chris Berman in this corner office and I walked in and knocked on the door and told him the story about four years prior and told him I was here and he goes, welcome to the party. And, you know, and I'm like, that's a sign. I got to stick with it. And, you know, I've made some incredible friends in the industry and outside, you know, I'm not from, Kenny Maine, who's a, a incredible friend and going to uh, uh, just hanging out with him and just being friends with him outside of work and Tom Rinaldi and, you know, a lot of people I just consider dear friends, Chris Connolly's of the world. Uh, and these are some of the names that people know. Um, oh, yeah. you know athlete wise, you don't become best friends with these people, but you know, James Harden's mom will text me randomly and send me pictures of the nephews that we met and her grandkids and um, keep me posted on James. I'm like, where, where I know how good he's doing. You know, <laughs> yeah, the whole world knows how, oh, how well he's so doing. That, amazing, that's man. Awesome. The events, yeah, the events you get to go to and the, the projects you work on, it's constantly staying creative, constantly staying on top of things. Um, I'm, I may not be an expert in all one thing, but I'm a, I'm a, I have my, my, my minor in everything, I would, I would say, <laughs> you know, from noodling to, you know, NBA basketball. It, it runs the gamut, and it's been a blessing. Now, how do you draw the line between being a fan and being a professional and doing your job? Because obviously, <laughs> on the one hand, there's, there's an artistic, you know, uh, production value for, for being a producer. But on the other hand, you know, we're all kids at the end of the day watching these great athletes perform. So how do you balance that? That's, that's a great question. Um, I forget the reporter, and I, won't, I don't want to point out names <laughs> and other entities and whatnot, but I remember seeing a uh, – a show on one of our competitors and the reporter was like, I'm not here to be the subject's friend. I'm here to do my job. I do my job. I do it respectfully. I do it professionally. I do it objectively. And I move out. 
and I'm done. And, you know, no, I have all the human interest story subjects, about 75% of them that I've done in the last 15 years on my cell phone. And some have stayed with me at my house. Uh, we, uh, some come and whether I visit them or they visit me or we just run into each other or we just text each other. Um, I don't know how much you know about Armenians, but we're very family oriented and we love a lot of good food. So you put those two together, it's hard to push it. You know, they're just not becoming part of the family. Now, obviously it's harder to do that with the Cam Newtons and the Christophs Porzingis of the world and whatnot. But I think they sense the authenticity that I bring to whether it's the, the expectations of how much time we need with them to what we're expecting and what the story is going to be about. And, you know, it's their story. We're just telling their story. And as we report things that go along, you know, things develop. Uh, we're not TMZ trying to unearth things, but we're also not uh, just trying to do puff pieces on people. We ask tough questions uh, and we're very transparent and you just have to, it's through experience, frankly, you know what I mean? It's through, through reps. As you guys know, you deal with the subjects you lay down some groundwork, and uh, when you get that call from the agent or the family or the subject saying, you know, you nailed it, there's honestly no better feeling in the world. I didn't get into this business for the money, I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's for the love of the game, if you will. So, Martin, let me ask you this, and, and that's great in terms of what you're saying because it's so true. It is about the love, and we're all, you know, passionate about sports. Now, you've done a lot of amazing and just great quality work on E60. I love, you know, with Jeremy Schaap and all the investigative, you know, reporting and stuff. And, you know, I guess getting into the documentaries, how did you get into that? And when you've done some of those, what, what really stood out the most to you? Yeah. Another great insightful question, because as a producer and director, you know, you do these long form features and after, you know, once I started doing the longer features outside of the Sunday NFL countdown, three minute features and the shorter features, and they got to be seven minutes, eight minutes, 11 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, you realize that even though you're getting this kind of real estate on this kind of network, there's so much stuff you're leaving on the cutting room floor. So once the, and, you know, honestly, my gauge hasn't been Emmys. I know I got intro as a 12-time Emmy winner, but I don't gauge my success on Emmys. I gauge it on people reaching out or me looking and saying, whether it's my wife or people on uh, online or just reaching out directly saying, wow, that was unbelievable. And it's usually not that was unbelievable way to go, Martin. It's what a story. That deaf high school football team. Oh my gosh, what an inspiration. Oh my gosh, James Harden. I didn't know he was that kind of guy. I love him now. Like that kind of stuff is what gets my my my, my clock ticking. So wanting to do the longer form, the hour form, half hour form features, E sixty wasn't the venue, it was thirty for thirty. So I would pitch ideas to thirty for thirty and you know they they have their they want to use filmmakers, you know, and they didn't necessarily pursue us as filmmakers internally as producers. Well, after so many great idea, but, you know, not getting the opportunity, about 2009, 2010, I went off and did my own independent documentary on William Truebridge, a freediver called Breathe. And I just did it with some friends who wanted, who kept begging me, not begging, but like, hey, man, when are we going to do something outside of ESPN? And I'm like, I don't know if right. I can. Got, got the blessing actually did the feature on William for E60 uh, and then just went a little further and just did my own independent doc. I took that independent doc, pitched it to 30 for 30, told them it was done, told them they didn't have to pay me, just run the piece and pay back our production costs. The next day, 
through a connection to Robert Abbott, who used to work on E60, he was now working for films, they came to me and said, we want you to direct Roll Tide, War Eagle. We need to see a rough cut in about three months. And I'm like, okay, ah. well, I just finished a one-hour doc. Here's my second chance, you know, with the branding of 30 for 30. And I'll tell you, you know, I'm not a college football expert. I became one spending, oh, man, I'd say a cumulative amount of about four to five weeks in Alabama, you know, all over the country, uh, all over the state, forgive me, uh, learning about that rivalry in the Iron Bowl and interviewing the Bo Jacksons and the Gene Jelks and the, you know, Cam Newton's, uh, Mark uh, Ingram's, Mark Ingram's, some of the people you know, some of them that you don't. Yeah. And just that experience of getting to do that hour, you know, just opened my eyes to, you know, I, I you know, God has blessed me with certain gifts. Uh, I'm going to have a action figure collector. I'm a pretty good father. I'm a pretty good husband and I can tell stories. You know what I mean? And I, I learned that, holy cow, I have this, untapped ability to keep someone's attention for a full hour you know and it, and it, and it just opened up these doors and finally E60 we started doing half hour and an hour uh, documentaries uh, that are branded E60 presents and I, I couldn't be more happier you know it just well, enables let me ask this, not to stuff on so, the cutting room floor sorry it's so funny that you said that because you went right there to my next question about the 30 for 30 when you talk about that you know not knowing college football at that time when you did that, and I can tell you as a viewer watching it, you took us into a world because we all know and love the Iron Bowl, but the way that you presented it, you know, talking about even, you know, how they have the, the tree and the, the issues with the mascots and the players and, and the old players and the new players, give me like one little nugget that might be on that cutting room floor that we might not, you know, the viewers might not have seen that you could relate to us and our listeners about that particular project because it was I mean it was really it stands alone as one of the best um, you know not just because you're on with us but honestly that one it was I thought it was brilliant I appreciate that and listen it, it always takes a, a team of photographers and, and producers and I'm not trying to sound all humble about it uh, but it takes a team to put together something like that and cover all the bases when I tell you that I don't know I wasn't following college football I still you know I covered it on a broad level so that you're knowledgeable about the top teams, some unbelievable games, some, un- right. some school that hasn't won a game in 30 years, teams and things that will give you, give you nuggets for stories. And obviously when Joe Tessitore and Bruce Feldman, they're the ones that came up with this pitch. When they came up and said, who's the producer for this? They said, Hey, listen, Martin is an expert on storytelling and the tornadoes and Harvey Updike. And I mean, there are some, elements here beyond the most classic games and the Joe Namath's and the ball, you know, that, that Martin will be able to really bring out. So, I mean, honestly, just to, just to find Harvey Updike and a colleague of mine, Wright Thompson wrote a brilliant article for ESPN.com, uh, you know, wrote Harvey Updike being the guy who allegedly then found to be the tree poisoner um, of, the, of the tumors trees. Um, they got you know, honestly just so, well, some of the conversations that just happened, you know, off camera that, you know, I couldn't talk about while the thing was under production were, were mind-blowing, you know, of, of, with him or Gene Jelks, who, you know, basically turned his back on his own team to take money. Um, I mean, you found out, like, how deep this rivalry is, but not just with how, how much face paint you're going to go put on, but how malicious it can get. And is it atypical behavior or is it typical behavior? Now, I'm not saying everyone goes and poisons trees or uh, infuses harm on other folks for their sake of rivalry, but, I mean, 
when you're when you're listening to these guys and gals talking about, you know, even the, even the mixed marriage couples that we interviewed. Um, oh yeah, pretty amazing, like di- dynamic. You know, like a Packer fan marrying a Vikings fan is like one thing. A Red Sox fan dating a Yankees fan, I can see, you know, great, whatever. But there's something there that I'm like, how did you guys even manage to look past this aspect of your life? <laughs> To share the same bed, you know, like <laughs> yeah, so ravenous. It, it, those are the kind of like mini anecdotes and experiences that sometimes you know you hope that it transcends through the piece and touches people. But you know, I'll be honest. Like one of the things that touched me the most, and you could have done a full documentary on it itself, was Carson Tinker's story about losing his girlfriend in the heart of those tornadoes. And what what people may not see, because honestly, we didn't have time to develop it is that the right. son of one of the mixed married couples, Alan Estes, was in the documentary because he happened to be one of Carson Tinker's friends who was in the closet when the tornado started to rip apart their house and rip Carson's girlfriend out from his arms and threw them all, you know, hundreds of feet. And unfortunately, obviously, Carson's uh, girlfriend perished. Um, I mean, just... Just getting to know Carson just in that little window and just keeping tabs on him a little bit after that documentary just to make sure he's okay and that, hey, listen, I'm here for you. I'm not going to pester you, but if you ever need to talk, you need to laugh, you need to joke, you need to cry, you need to whatever, you got my cell number, man. Just give me a call, and I'll be here for you. You know, And that's, that's I guess, what is the most gratifying about my job. It's not necessarily like, oh, I didn't get that one story in about Bo Jackson and, you know, uh, uh, some, some football coach. It's, oh, man. I was able to develop these relationships that people outside the piece will not necessarily appreciate what kind of people these guys are. Like I know them now. Uh, that's so probably it's, the a, thing. it's interesting that you say that because that was one of the questions that, that I had for you is especially when you do long form documentaries, you, you sit there and you, and you learn about these guys and you learn and gals and you learn what makes them tick and you see them off the field and off the screen and I would imagine that you have a whole set of people that, you know, as, as the public, as a sports viewing public, we see them a certain way, but you see them differently. Uh, is there anybody that stands out in mind that's a completely different persona, you know, off the field versus what we see as fans on the screen? Uh, the sh- the, yes, absolutely. There's, uh, I mean, since we mentioned him, you know, James Harden, for instance, right? Um maybe seen as menacing and thuggish and he's got this beard and he's quiet and he's, you know, he doesn't play defense and he doesn't care about his team and all he wants to do is score and all he cares about is stats and, you know, and just hearing about that stuff. um, It's not like I went into the profile going, I'm going to debunk this preconceived notion of James Harden. You know, I was like, I want to know who this dude is, you know, maybe he's, more sinister than we think. Maybe he's more uh, of a, a joyful guy than we think. I have no idea. I'm just going to go do the documentary. And just getting to know, you find out what his mom's been through and what, as a single mom raising James, and what kind of kid James was. And literally earning the trust of the mom so much that she gives me a box of tapes, high eight tapes, which are basically obsolete, and saying, Martin, I don't know what the heck is on these tapes. And she's looking at me with that look like, and I'm like, are these like some Kardashian sex tapes, Mrs. Willis? You know, when you're watching it, and, you know, jokingly, but we're at that level now. And she's like, no, silly, but I, you know, I got to make sure I look good on these tapes. I'm like, listen, 
I'm going to go through every tape by myself. And whatever I find, I'm going to run by you. No one else is going to see them. I'm going to be in a room by myself. And if I get your blessing, I'm going to make files of these, and I'll send them for to you, and you're going to have them forever. There you see the videos of James, the 10-year-old, and how you know, expressive he was and playing with his friends and being a sweetheart to his sister and dancing with his brother. And you're like, okay, wow. this is what That's forms amazing. us, right? And you're like, oh, my gosh, look at these pictures. Like, you don't see James doing that except in an Adidas commercial. And you're like, wow, I see inside of him as a kid. And then you find out, you know, at a post game when you've spent some time with them and they have another loss. You know, I followed them during the three-game span, the Spurs, uh, Thunder, and Wizards. And I figured oh Spurs is the biggest test. Oklahoma City for obvious reasons. And the Wizards, worst case scenario, they're going to come home and they're going to smoke the Wizards. This is, you know, last season. Um, right. And coming in, you, you know, they lose to the Spurs. They barely they lose to the Thunder. And then they lose to the Wizards. And I'm like, and Dwight Howard had gotten ejected out of two of those games. And I'm looking at him. I just, I know what a competitor he is. I watched him play FIFA soccer against some friends. How competitive this guy is in just PlayStation, but what a fun guy he is just to play video games with. Um, I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and he's just shaking his head. And, and for a moment, it was not $80 million athlete, an ESPN Emmy-winning producer. It was state high school basketball, you know, runner-up, me, and him, dominant NBA basketball competitor, looking at each other. And I go, dude, hold your head up, man. And he's like, oh, dude, I'm so frustrated. I, go, I know, I see it. But listen, your time's going to come. And I looked at him, and I just started shaking my head. I'm like, Dwight Howard, like, just shaking my head because of the basketball fantasy. I'm looking at him going – how can that guy get ejected twice out of a game? I feel your frustration, but it's not your fault these last couple of nights. Keep your... And he's like, man, you just, I appreciate that. You don't know. You just don't. I go, I do know, man. Your time's going to come. And, you know, getting that hug and being like, it's cool. You know, you got your mom yeah. in there. It's all wow. good. And just seeing that element of him, that human nature of those cliche sound bites that we hear all the time, that's not who these guys are. You know, they can't just sit there and say, Dwight should have got ejected, and I'm trying to talk to him, and so and so and blah. They can't do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying he's throwing teammates under the bus. He's just frustrated at the what the game happened. And here we think, oh, you just want to, you know, you just want to collect your paycheck and go to your nice cush house and kick back and put on your Adidas shoes and check out, you know, look at your checking account go up. It's not the case, man. You know, money's not yeah, the motivator yeah. always. Uh, but that was just one instance, you know. That's, and, and he got a nice present, right, in Mike D'Antoni in that offense, which perfectly suits Absolutely. him, right? And so if you did that, if you did that uh, profile on him this year, he'd probably be a lot happier because uh, this, no this, that looks like a marriage made in heaven. I mean, that's Steve Nash part two right there with the, with that combo of guard and, you know, guard and coach. So, Absolutely. Martin, I, you know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Okay, no, I was just going to ask you just – with you explaining that in such detail, it it validates what, you know, we know, you know, as Tal and Eric and Ray and Tay, you know, we played sports in so, you know, little minor levels. But I think the media gets stuff so twisted that, like you said, because that they're so rich or so tall or so strong, like that they're not human beings. And that type right. of insight is so priceless and I'm really fascinated. Maybe you can give us an, another nugget about someone like Cam Newton. And I know you've got stuff with Harden and Newton and Porzingis who I can't wait to see or know about or Draymond Green, but Cam Newton, because this is someone, obviously the Auburn, Alabama stuff, someone 15 and one and lost and then the post game interviews and yada, yada, yada. But I think 
you know, the way he's challenged and even with the whole dichotomy this year of race and him trying to play both sides, how do you, what, what's the sort of insight on Cam Newton, or as we like to call him in our show, Cameron Jarrell Newton that you can give <laughs> our audience? You know, he's fascinating to me. I'm going to start out the entire uh, breakdown by saying I honestly didn't pretend I spent with him. I love Cam Newton. And why I say that is I think the people around him from his family, and I don't know them. I'm not going to pretend like I know them. Uh, his agents, his, his publicists and whatnot, there was so much – and when I say collusion, I don't mean like purposefully getting into his head about making bad decisions to hurt his life. Right. But I feel like there was so much around a young man who at a young age, you know, my kids play sports and they competitively dance, they play basketball and they want to be great. But my son's not coming to me saying, dad, I want to be an NBA star or did mom, you know, Mom, I want to be the best dancer ever. Or what? They're just like, they just love what they're doing, and they're just doing it at age nine and seven. Cam Newton would come at age five and six and put on his gear before his game would start two, three hours before and say, I'm ready for the game. And they're like, dude, go back to bed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> let us sleep a little bit. It's not ready. So, you know, those things as a child, and I know you guys remember your childhood, like certain games you'd play from kickball to competitive sports. There's a difference between enjoying the game and having this notion in your head that you're going to do something great at such a young age. I don't know that other thing. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I'll play in high school. Maybe I'll play in college. And then immediately in college, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this. This is too much effort. This, I'd rather just go and experience college lifestyle. What I noticed about some of these athletes is that at a very young age, they already knew what they wanted to be, and they didn't just say it. They did things. To make it happen, Cam Newton to me, does he get put into positions where he's never getting told no because he's a monster athlete and man amongst boys from a young age? Yeah. Do his parents get put in situations to make their their lives, you know, better because of the things that may pop up because their son is such a strong athlete? And would any of us just turn our head and always do the right thing? Now I'm not alleging anything because I don't know anything. You know, right. um, but you know, the, the, did Cam's parents take money? Did, did such and such things happen? We were the first entity to ask him straight up, both in the doc and in the profile that we did. Did you take money? And we got a no. Did your dad take money? No. And you just you let them speak and you move forward. Now, all the collusion and he's a bad sport and he's this and he doesn't understand. I don't know how much that's. And I and listen, like I take my kids and I do myself. We take the onus for our own actions and. Responsible for our own representation of ourselves, you right? Know? But when Cam Newton is doing a post-game Super Bowl speech or a press conference, and literally across from him, the Broncos are there, and this is the biggest game of his life. Oh, it was a perfect storm. For, it was horrible. That was totally unfair. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, what what is he supposed to do? You know what right. I mean? And like it's five minutes after he, it ended, so they didn't even get a chance to to digest what happened. Priest Holmes would say that after every game, whether they won or lost, and I learned this with Richard Sherman as well, with the on-field blow-up that he had that we didn't even know what happened because we were covering that game, not because he blew up on Aaron Andrews, but because we were profiling Richard Sherman and he happened to blow up Aaron Andrews. Um, 
especially in football, not, not to discredit any other sport. I figure it's with every sport. How the hell are you supposed to talk to a guy or girl five minutes, ten minutes after they've lost the biggest game of their life and expect them to be, you know, like the examples that are made with Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or whatever. Listen, every person is different. I'm an emotional guy. I've been called the Draymond Green of E60. I don't necessarily kick my bosses in the nuts, but when I'm relating to Draymond Green, I tell him that. I tell him, man, I've been called the Draymond Green of E60. Without me, you know, I'm like the glue. I can be the best scorer one day, the best passer the next day, the best defensive next day. I can get a triple-double scoring four points. I like that. I like being the utility all-star. That's pretty sick. That's a great range. And he can relate to that. Now, That's awesome. Cam Newton, Draymond Green, James Hart, all these guys are different. But you're going to tell me that the guy should have acted like Peyton Manning and the way he handles post games when, when he loses? Well, how do I know how he's been raised? How do I know what Archie Manning's rules were in the house? How do I know? You know what I mean? Is he a good sport? Exactly. Yeah. Cam Newton loves his teammates. Does he love everybody on his team? Probably not. Does he hang out with all of them? Probably not. But is he a bad guy because he didn't want to sit there and talk to the media and he should have been like this? And he sh- Listen. As a media member, and we can all relate to this, doesn't matter what level, ESPN, local TV, your guys' shit, every level, it's we're doing what we love and we're working hard at it and trying to represent and talk about sports the best we can. No one's coming to us saying we shouldn't have that opinion because that's not appropriate. We just blast out our opinions. We just blast out our actions. And guess what? Most of our actions, when we lose our cool with our family or we lose our cool with our kids, when we lose our cool with our wives, it's not on national television. It's in the privacy of our homes. Are you proud of every single reaction you've had in that would you know imagine if our lives were put out now i understand they're getting paid millions of dollars and comes with the responsibility of having to answer the media right but that should never be the excuse and that's what the people say oh they should be to a higher standard because of how much money they make and it's like money and money levels don't determine humanity and natural emotions it just can never happen that way it's like saying, let me put your feet on coal, walk on some <laughs> coals, hot coals, but don't react because I'm paying you 10 mil a year to walk on hot coals. You know what I mean? Like you can't, they're still hot. They don't make them. They don't, they're not cold all of a sudden. Uh, so it's, and I'm not saying every situation he's handled has been perfect. And, you know, but you know, what's funny is I, I always, I always, people are like, how did Cam Newton not know about the money stuff going on and blah, 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 and this and that. And I, and I always put it like this. I, go, I used to watch Friday Night Lights, one of my favorite TV shows. And yeah. there were the episodes, it wasn't smush, it wasn't smash, but it was the other running back. And how his dad got out of prison and, you know, got back into his family's life and started soliciting coaches to meet with his son. And his son had no idea about these meetings that he was setting up. I'm not saying that's how Cam Newton's situation was, but I'm also not saying Cam Newton had to know because it's his dad or whatever, was making contact with these people. I don't really know. And I'm not here to judge his dad. I'm not here to judge him. But I will tell you that sort of like what's going on now in the political world with uh, the media and the fights against President Trump and the media's fake news and blah, I will say that we try to be journalistic. We try to be objective. Sometimes we're asked and paid to be opinionated. But it's a strange time for the media to earn credibility and not lose the credibility that we've established. And that's number one with me, authenticity, credibility, and trustworthiness. Those are the keys to me to making our, you know, investigative stories, profile stories, human interest stories, 
to make them great. Those are the three keys no, that you and, have to kind of and Martin, invest in. And, and that absolutely works for you. I mean, you got James Harden's mom on speed dial. That means you built hey. a lot of trust. If you got somebody's mom, <laughs> you know, willing you know to give mean? you the tapes. That's pretty awesome. Honestly, like, so, look, so look, Martin, yeah. let's get you out of here on this. What is next for you? I mean, obviously you've you've run the gamut from being up in Bristol, you know, being a young producer, working on primetime with with Berman, and and then doing all this stuff in uh, Thirty for Thirties and and E60. And now you it seems like you you pick fun stories and fun profiles that 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 really interest you and, and kind of make you tick. Uh, so so what's next? How, how do you um, how do you see your future? Um, are you going to stay in the, in the sports you know documentary game for uh, you know for the foreseeable future? I I, I love sports. Uh, as a tool to tell stories. There's always, you know, my, I feel like my stories aren't always about the sport, and sometimes there's a very loose connection to sport, but it's a very good vehicle to have. I've always wondered what I could do, you know, outside of uh, having sports as the umbrella and kind of like, not in a negative way, but the restriction, you know, I can't go do stories that don't have to do with sports. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, the, the the mass murderings of albinos in Tanzania. I've been trying to do a story on that with this soccer team that I can't pinpoint, like, if this soccer team is legit or if people are making a, legit, a soccer team out of albinos to take money from people to come shoot them and uh, film them. Uh, so that's the kind of story that I would love to have the opportunity to do, but I can't get the sports connection, uh, you know, nailed in to go do. Um you know, scripted series. I always wonder, like, if my my imagination and creativity, like, where it could go if I was, you know, in, you know, working with Lucasfilm to do a live action Star Wars series. My favorite thing in the world. Like, I I have no idea, like, where and what I could do. So, you know, there's a couple of things just on my own time with some friends. I'm kind of working on behind the scenes that I can't release just now, but I promise you guys will be. You know, I'm very loyal. You know, one of the first guys will. <laughs> We'll know, and we have the return interview. You know, when that stuff comes, you guys will have heard it. Let here us first. know. Um, uh, but you know, I've, I'm I'm very interested in seeing where the future leads, and, and I'm on God's timeline and wherever He leads me. But you know, I'd be lying to say if I didn't. Now that Disney's so much closer to Lucasfilm, I wouldn't love to tap into more. You know, I did the evolution of the lightsaber duel project with Mark Hamill, which to this day might be one of my, if not my favorite, uh, just in terms of a fun project to do. Uh, wow. But you know, I, I'm working on Kristaps Porzingis. I'm working on Draymond Green. I'm doing a, you know, if you guys are Game of Thrones fans, I'm doing a story with the Mountain, who's a, a world strongman from Iceland. You know, um, incredible. The assignments that I'm working on aren't, you know, it'd be hard to give up. But at the same time, I'm very curious to see where the future leads, and uh, you know, I'll keep you guys posted. So, awesome. Martin, hey. Wait, let me ask you one, more, one, one quick thing before you go. So I, I hear, and you've mentioned it quite a bit, and, and I really respect it, but when you speak about, and I wonder what the connection is, you always speak about your faith and, and God and not having luck. Um, what is your faith, and how do you see your faith connected to sports? Because I find that interesting, if you don't mind me asking. Uh, no, I, you know, come back to the question of the day. Uh, you know, I was raised... I went, I've been going to a parochial school since grade school. My mom was a single mom, you know, probably making 35 grand at her peak, but found a way, and, you know, living in a duplex with my grandparents and found a way to send me to a private school. And to this day, my first, my, my best friend from first grade at that school, even though he's in Minnesota and we haven't lived in the same proximity since 1989, we're still best friends. And I still keep tabs with those guys and those teachers and that school. 
uh, and God was instilled in me in a, in a very young age. I'm now a, a, a devout Christian. Uh, I love my church here. In Re- it's called Real Life Christian Academy. My kids go to a private school there, uh, two of my youngest kids. Uh, and I always, you know, when you go spend time with these families who have been through uh, crazy adversity, you know, the human interest stories, the Bluffton bus, cra- bus crash story that I did, and you ask them, you know, how do you get through this? And, the, and their son who got thrown from a bus for 40 feet off an overpass and survives, uh, you know, and they start telling you about God, part of the authenticity is not coming back to the guy saying, man, I'm sure glad baseball was in their life because without baseball, Tim wouldn't be alive today. You know, that's preposterous. But at the right. same time, like I mentioned, I can't make the story about just God finding a way to pick up the pieces and God not pushing that bus off the overpass. So where's that balance? You know, and, and having a fight, that internal fight of, you know, not making it into, you know, a, a, a religious program. How do I stay authentic to the story, I, I infuse God when I can? Because right. I've had that conflict within me saying, you know, my pastor's trying to pull me away from ESPN and go full time on their production team to do, you know, the, the real life stories of, for the congregation, help the church grow and whatnot. I'm like, that's great if you want to pay my mortgage and my car payment and the private school that I'm sending <laughs> exactly. my kids to your school. He's like, what will it take? It's like, well, I'm not money driven, but I can't just, you know, again, I, I say I can't cut my salary in half and just dump everything. But I literally had a friend at ESPN, 17 years, Jason Romano, God bless him. He literally just left 15 years, 17 years at ESPN, the pension, the Disney perks, everything to go and pursue his faith and become a, a production leader for a church in, in Connecticut. I mean, that's amazing. And I'm like, oh, man, is God trying to talk to me through Jason? But, right, Mike you know, and Mike were saying goodbye to him the other day. I remember that, right? He, that's one of my close friends. I mean, we've been wow. there two years longer than me. You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jason. I just rolled to the airport about two weeks ago. He's like, my last day's coming up. I'm like, where are you going, Fox? What are you doing? He's like, no, man, I'm just getting out. I'm like, And he told me, and I'm like, oh, man, maybe I, maybe I need to tap into that a little more. So there's always that itch. But whenever I can, you yeah. know, if if someone mentions God and whatnot, and I can film him in a church, and I go, you know, I did a Nate Newton piece back in 2005, and he said I can't shoot on Sunday. I'm going to church. That's my that's my church now on Sundays. I'm like, well, can we go film that? And the whole piece started in church, you know, and you found a way. Sundays, wow. football stadiums used to be church. Now church is literally church for Nate Newton. So anything I can grab into that and touch people who are watching and let them know that. God is there and we can make a more godly society. It's important to me. But I, again, you can't just shove that down people's throats. Uh, I like to kind of get them with a kidney punch on that front, you know? Right. And, and I, I don't know. If, if, right. No. And that's awesome. And I don't know if uh, Todd was able to tell you, um, but we had uh, Randall Cunningham on our show, Pastor Randall Cunningham. Oh, I'm awesome. Also, right. I'm also a Christian, but we had him on the show and it was fascinating and this was during the time of the nfl draft a draft review show with michael sam when he was drafted and oh wow you know yeah it was just it was brilliant and uh we had a great time with him and you know it was that perfect balance you know that he brought in with us in terms of you know football sports and faith and i I thought it was it was great good interview we'll have to send it to you to check it out well, we also did, we did a E60 on him and actually updated the piece. And I mean, as you guys know, he went through an you know an incredible test. Wow, I think Billy Wiley was a pastor with his son drowning in their own hot tub. And I mean, talk about Christ's yeah. faith and whatnot. And there's some things that through his career and through his 
personal life, you're like, there's no way that guy would have got through it and out of it without God. So, you know, God is my driving force. God is everything I do is for God. And ever since I turned my talents and said, this is for you, uh, he's blessed me and he's blessed my family. So it'll always stay God true and true. And I appreciate you asking. I think it's important. No, I'm glad to talk about it with you. Martin, you are always welcome. I'm so glad, you know, the connection uh, with you and Ray. And please come back. And, uh, I, you know, we're Nick fans, so you know we can't wait to hear about Chris Yeah, Chris Knapps. <laughs> and uh, and oh, Oakley's man, welcome back to the Garden again, even though, you know, he wants the public apology. So you might need to talk to Oakley. That's the next great piece. <laughs> Listen, man, Michael, I'm sitting here in my home office, and I got a signed Jordan jersey to my left, and my mom got signed during a golf classic while I was working local TV. I'm standing three feet away from the guy. He's my idol, my, my, my hero as an athlete, um, and I never, you know, I never could ask for his autograph. My mom got it, and, you know, his bodyguard is Oakley. You know, I grew up loving Oakley and all this chaos that's been going on. I mean, it's mind-blowing, but let me tell you something. The Porzingis piece, um, I'll just give you a little teaser. There's some okay. depth to this kid that, you know, people don't know, that's not reported. And, you know, in our, in our craft, you see a story, you read about it in the Times, or you read about it in a local paper, and then you go do the TV version of that story and maybe find a couple little pieces. The beauty is, is when you earn that trust and you delve into the lives of some of these people, whether they're big-name profiles or human interest, no-namers, uh, is when you find something that hasn't been reported, and it, it, it just adds this layer of depth to the story that you're like, wow. And, you know, it's usually major adver- you know, adversity, something conflict, life and death stories are the ones that touch people the most. You know, they, we're not MTV cribs all the time, you know, check out my car and check out this and check out that. Um, it's about tests that people can relate to because not everyone can relate to being, you know, seven feet tall, seven three in his case, and uh, from Latvia who happens to be an NBA star now. Um, but they can relate to what his family's been through and some of the things he went through as a childhood uh, that people don't know about that I think is going to make people, uh, even though the Knicks are in a trying time, really respect it and maybe renew some interest and, and respect for uh, the organization and having the foresight of taking this kid to add some character and depth to the team. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about that one. Yeah, well, let us know because we'll definitely we be watching. Too. Yeah. Ray and Tay, man, I love your guys' show. You guys keep doing what you're doing. I think it's important. I think it's awesome. You know, God bless your guys' path and, you know, keep touching people. And anytime, you know, it'd be an honor to come back and talk. And uh, You guys are just great people. And, uh, Tay, I hope, the, Tal, I hope the baby's, you know, going great. And, you know, that's that's not easy, man. That's not an easy, that's uh, not an easy no, thing to juggle. No, I have it too. But, but Eric has four, so I can't even complain. I have so four. You got more boys. I have two, Eric. I have four Eric, sons. I'm out here in Scottsdale, Arizona, a native New Yorker. And I have three-year-old twins. There was supposed to be daddy's little girl, and God said, ha-ha, joke's on you, Mr. Taylor. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that happened to me, too. Roman was supposed to be Ava, and then he turned into Roman. That's what happened to me. And you know what? As much as I was going to give you props for having four over my three, you said you had all boys? Dude. Four boys. You lose. You lose. I got a teenage daughter, a, a, a nine-year-old boy, and a seven-year-old girl who's already more manipulative and sweet and dangerous than my teenage daughter. So <laughs> You know, God bless I, you. I don't want to hear about four boys. You know, I don't want to hear. No, about no, boys. definitely. The girls is a rougher road. I already know. So God, you know, listen. Maybe, maybe I was really <laughs> nice to the ladies growing up. I got four boys. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was a great you. time, Martin. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you so much. It was our pleasure you, to Nancy. have you on. Tell Nancy I said hi and listen to more Elu music. The guy's a genius. 
Uh, yeah, he is. Absolutely. We need to get him on the show, too. Yeah. All yeah. right, Martin. Take care. Thanks again for all your time. Take care, Love this. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, Ray. That's a, a classic. classic. That was a great insight uh, into sports, into behind amazing. the scenes, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera. Well, what an awesome life, you know, 15, 20 years covering sports from all angles. That That's just awesome insight that but, we hope that you know our what? fans enjoy. We certainly did. But you know what the key is, Ray? He's just like us. It's the passion. And, 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 and this is why I always say, you know, hashtag sports heals and sports cares, because when you, when you love sports like we do and you clearly see Martin does, you want to tell stories. You don't want to hurt these guys or bash them. You're fascinated what makes Draymond tick, what makes KP, you know, want to be an NBA player all the way from Latvia, you know, what makes Cam Newton, you know, and, and that's, that's Ray and Tay right there, talking sports with friends. Martin is uh, always welcome, and that was just a great story. And uh, hey, we'll be back on Friday, man. What else can we say? That was it. Right, regular bat time on Friday. So have a great sports week. A lot to talk about. Baseballs around the corner. Pitchers and catchers reported yesterday and today. We'll be talking NBA yeah. All Star. We'll be talking March Madness. We got a lot to talk about in February and March. But this was a great insight into the sports world so thank you again martin and um we'll, we'll have him back on the show when he gets to the, the chris Stapps and the dream on green documentary off the ground oh yeah a great sports With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 